Amen. What a blessing. That is a great song, great message. If that doesn't bless your heart, your blessers broke. Amen. You do something about that. John chapter 1, while the children are dismissed, if you would, turn to John chapter 1. Young people can be dismissed to go back to the classes. Had a good week this week, was able to, uh, I think I showed you last week a picture of my new granddaughter, right? Anybody need to see that? You can line up afterwards and I'll show it to you, okay? Uh, free of charge. Whether you want to or not, I'll just show it to you anyway. Uh, but uh, it was a blessing. We were able to visit them this week. My wife's on the way back now and and uh, got to uh, uh, see this little bundle of joy. What a blessing she was. Not quite six pounds yet, but uh, just a beautiful little girl that the Lord's blessed uh, our uh, family with. Uh, my son-in-law took me to the airport early Thursday morning. I didn't have a chance to get any coffee because God's people drink coffee. Amen? Amen. Good. Uh, and uh, so I got to the airport on Thursday morning early, and it was a, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not an evangelist right now, I'm a pastor, so I'm going to tell the truth. Uh, it was like a quarter of a mile long, okay? The line just wrapped way around to, to go through security. So we finally made it through there, and then I had a, uh, found a coffee, the one coffee shop that was there, uh, and I got in line for that, about half an hour wait to get finally to the front of the line to find out that this coffee shop did not have coffee. You can get a muffin. I didn't want a muffin. I wanted coffee desperately, and they did not have coffee. So that's how my Thursday started, and uh, we, just went, we just went with it. Amen. Uh, people ought to offer what they advertise. Amen. So today... We're Bible Baptist Church. We're going to offer the Bible. Amen. Let's do that as we go to John chapter 1. I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I've noticed something about, you know, looking at prices of different things. A bottle of water, uh, if you go to Walmart, is 50 cents-ish. If, uh, uh, if you go to the gym, it's about $2. If you go to the airport, it's $4 or more. Uh, or, and it can be over $6 at a theme park. The only thing that changed its value was the place in which you find it in. You know, a lot of people today feel valueless. They feel worthless. They feel like no one values them. Maybe you're in the wrong place if you feel that way. Uh, this is a place here where we value you and we're grateful for you. And I think that if you get around God's people, uh, then you'll maybe see your own value or at the feeling of it increase. So praise the Lord for that. John's Gospel is a very theological gospel. Right from the start, John wants us to understand the meaning of who Jesus is and what he did and what he did meant and uh, what all those things were. So uh, he wanted us to know the significance of this man, Jesus Christ. The opening of the gospel makes it clear. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you read a, you shouldn't, but if you read a Jehovah's Witness Bible, you'll see that he was a God. He was not a God. He was God. He is, uh, the Lord was, uh, th th we believe in the Trinity, three in one. So in John, we find a different beginning than Mark and, and Matthew and Luke. There's no uh, uh, nice Christmas story that it begins with and talking about the birth of Christ. Uh, he starts off differently. He has written to give us a deeper meaning of who Jesus is. And so in John chapter one, uh, right soon into the chapter here, we uh, Jesus meets John the Baptist, and immediately John cries out, Behold the Lamb of God. 
After this, two of John's disciples follow Jesus. The next day, John, uh, Jesus finds Philip and simply says, follow me to Philip, and Philip went with Jesus. Obviously, you <laughs> read through the, especially the beginnings of the Gospels here, there must have been something very special and powerful about Jesus. Those who had never met him until that moment are instantly willing to leave everything they are and all that they're doing and follow him. Obviously, they would have heard of him, but it, it, may, it ought to make you think, it makes me wonder what was so special about Jesus. In his, was it his charisma? Was it the way that he carried himself? Was it his confidence? Was it the way that he taught and preached? These three men, Andrew, Peter, and Philip, had no problem following Jesus after meeting him the first time. And then Philip saw something in Jesus that so amazed him he had to run to his BFF named Nathaniel. For you older folks, BFF means best friend forever. Not, my daughter let me know it is not big fat friend like I once thought. Uh, it is best friend forever. Anyway, but he ran to his friend Nathaniel, and I want to read what happens here when he gets to him. We're in John chapter 1, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would, would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Father, I pray you'd help us in these next few minutes as we uh, just look to pull something from this passage that'll be a special challenge to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach this morning on from under a tree to the top of the world. From under a tree to, a, to the top of the world. It's interesting that the book of John is parenthesized by doubt. In fact, last week we talked about Thomas, who is at the very end of the book of John, when he is doubting Jesus was risen. And now the book also begins in the beginning with Nathanael doubting who Jesus was. Uh, so the beginning and the end of the book of John are sort of coordinated in this way. Now, Philip was not a prominent disciple like Peter, but his conversion is reported here in Scripture. Jesus findeth Philip in verse 43. Philip's conversion was like the Apostle Paul's in Acts chapter 9, that in that Christ himself sought out Philip. Now, everyone, of course, does not have the same salvation experience. That's one reason why I love to go through and hear testimonies of people's salvation. It's one of the first things I'll ask when I meet a new person who maybe visits our church, we have a chance to sit down, tell me about how you got saved. And, and uh, it's a wonderful thing to share with others. Andrew and John were pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist. Peter was brought to Jesus by Andrew. Now, Philip is sought out by Jesus. You and I also would have different uh, salvation stories. 
Conversion experiences differ, but one constant is always there. It always includes a person coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow, that's where you have to end up. So Jesus tells Philip, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the Bible says, which was the city of Andrew and Peter. The city of Bethsaida had many great spiritual opportunities. Some of the greatest men that ever were came from there. These three disciples were from there. Uh, Jesus did great miracles in Bethsaida. And yet this city, with all of its privilege, had a curse upon it. Let me read you some verses here in Luke chapter 10, verse 13. Jesus is talking, Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. What Jesus is saying, hey, if I, what I did here in this city, if I had done those works in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd have repented a long time ago. And yet you continue to reject. Uh, this is a sad thing for anyone who is constantly given the truth and does not have a heart's response to it. It's worse uh, for us who have that and refuse it. After Andrew got converted, he sought out Peter. Now that Philip is converted, he seeks out Nathaniel. Now most people, Bible scholars, agree that Nathaniel is the Bartholomew who is listed later whenever the twelve are listed. And by the way, this is how it ought to be. Saved people seeking out unsaved people. That's how it ought to be. When we are saved out of our sin, our response from then on never to be looking down on others still in their sin. We have been rescued. And now we go and rescue others uh, from their sin as well. George Sweeting wrote a book about witnessing. And he tells about a man named John Courier. In 1949, John Courier was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. In, uh, later, he was transformed and, uh, I'm sorry, transferred, and he was moved to a farm where he was paroled to work and near Nashville, Tennessee. In 1968, Courier's sentence was overturned uh, for whatever reason, and, and a letter was written to him to, that bore the good news that told him he is free. He no longer has to serve his sentence, which was, was a life sentence. But John never received the letter, never saw it. So he never was told anything about it. Life on the farm continued. It was difficult. It was hard labor with no future and no promise for him. He kept doing what he was told year after year. Ten years went by when a parole officer finally learned about Courier and found him and told him that he was free. He no longer had to be uh, imprisoned and, and working this hard labor. Now let me ask you a question. How would you feel if someone sent you the most important message of your life year after year, it was never delivered? You just kept on living in your bondage. Well, that's what it sort of is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard the good news, you know the good news, and you've experienced freedom through Christ. Now we're responsible to tell others. Let us not leave those loved ones and co-workers and neighbors who are in the bondage of sin. Let's not just leave them there without at least delivering the letter to them and letting them know of their freedom in Christ. Salvation precedes seeking, and saved people should be seeking. Nathaniel was from Cana. His name means God has given. Here comes Philip, his friend, with the best news he has ever 
heard or ever carried with him. He says in verse 45, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This communication was supported by Scripture and focused on the Savior. By the way, that's what our message should always do as well. Supported by Scripture and focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what he said. And this is good news. He's essentially telling him, you know, all those hours we spent studying about the one who would come, the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament, this is him. He is here. Nathaniel, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? In this type of context, good here isn't referring to moral behavior. It's talking about a beneficial event. Can anything come out of Nazareth that's going to benefit this world? As far as Nathaniel's concerned, the word Messiah and the word Nazareth ought never be in the same sentence together, as far as he was concerned. And this is understandable. Nazareth had a poor reputation. Nazareth is nowhere in the Old Testament as prophesied connected with the Messiah. There's no, uh, uh, nothing special ever was expected to come out of Nazareth, especially not the Messiah. So Nathaniel was a skeptic until he had an encounter with the Savior. Nathaniel's problem he was a little bit of a snob. He was a little bit prejudiced. Again, and in, in Jerusalem, people looked down on the people of Galilee as kind of being from the wrong side of the tracks. And it's interesting how people are. You ever notice this? Uh, we tend to look down on others who are not like us. And then you take those, uh, those people we're looking down on, what do they do? They look down on other people who are not like them. And so Jerusalem looked down on Galilee and and uh, here, Nathaniel, who was from Galilee, looked down on Nazareth. I don't know who the Nazareth looked down on, probably the Samaritans. It just went on down and down and down it went. That's how people are. Uh, by the way, Christians should never do that. God's people should never uh, be looking down on anybody. People are people, and all people need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they don't look like me. That's a good thing. Trust us all, okay? We see Nathaniel's attitude today concerning Christianity, even, even as we live today, Jesus was from Nazareth. We still see that Christianity is from Nazareth. It's looked down upon. That great intellectual giant, Jesse Ventura, said, organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. I find it interesting that Christianity offers man what his heart most desires, yet so many rejected, and to their detriment. So you had in Nathaniel, and you have even today, this eye-rolling response to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this dismissiveness is so deadly to our spiritual condition. Consider, if you will, the marriage relationship. Probably the worst thing that you can have in a marriage relationship is that is the dismissiveness, the eye-rolling. You can go through all kinds of, uh, you, can, you can survive fights and broken promises and failures, but nothing kills a relationship like contempt, dismissing one another. Now, here's how Philip responded, and I love this because this is so good. It, 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 it applies to what we need to do today. Philip didn't argue with him. You know what he did? He said this, what it says in the Bible. Come and see. That's all he said. Philip saith unto him, come and see. Oh, to have more people share that gospel message right there. Come and see. 
this same invitation is being offered to you today, friend. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Who is to come? The weary and the burdened, the heavy laden, those who are despaired and disheartened and disenfranchised and disapproved of, those who are talked about and criticized and rejected, those who are weighed down, ready to quit, all can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is desperately looking for peace and fulfillment. We need some Christians to say with the psalmist, Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusteth in him. Philip didn't debate with Nathaniel. He just simply said, come and see. Philip Yancey said this, I quote, No one ever converted to Christianity because they lost the argument. Not very many people, nobody I have ever met, has been argued into Christianity. And it's interesting here, it does not say come and think. It says come and see. Come and see what the Lord Jesus Christ is. The only way to convince a man to come to Christ is to confront him with Christ and to show him Jesus. Don't argue, and I, I've made this mistake uh, several times in my life where I had a long standing argument with a evolutionist. Now, I'm, I'm obviously a creationist and, and uh, believe in what the Bible says. And so we'd go back and forth and argue and bring all, he'd bring his so-called evidence and I'd bring my evidence and we'd try, we'd have this long argument. It never made any difference in his heart. Don't argue people through reasoned debate. Show them Jesus in your life. Arguments usually convince those who are already convinced or at the point of wanting to be convinced. Otherwise, people are just, uh, that, that's why I'm not a big fan of debates. When you know, I know that Ken Ham debates different ones and I'm not knocking it good for him. I'm just not a big fan of them because it seems to me you have two guys debating. Each side is going to be rooted stronger in their own side. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, amen? And so we, instead of trying to argue it, the most effective evangelism is genuine, concerned, loving proclamation and invitation, showing people the love of Christ, showing them what he's done in your life. We win hearts, not heads. That's what Jesus is after. Though Nathaniel was a skeptic, praise God, he still went with Philip. Many times, unbelief is not willing to investigate the facts, but that was not Nathaniel. He went with Philip. When he does come to Jesus, what does Jesus, how does Jesus respond? Does Jesus look at him? Ha! Can any good thing come out of Cana? That's what he kind of deserved, isn't it? But no, Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel was a good man. He was a moral man, but he needed to be saved. Because good men, moral men, needed to be saved, need to be saved today too, not just those that are on skid row. Even after Nathaniel's reactionary behavior, Jesus Christ pays him a great compliment. Now what does he mean by these words, Israelite indeed? It's kind of a weird wording for us, but he's saying that Nathaniel, he's the epitome of an Israelite. Nathaniel wanted desperately to live up to the standards that God had set for Israel. And so he eagerly, uh, he, he did everything that he knew, but he waited on the promised Messiah. By the way, there was still some doubt here, probably even with Philip, because it's interesting here when Philip tells him to come and see the one that is, is prophesied of Moses, he still called him Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So there's probably still a little doubt even in Philip's mind. Jesus knew Nathaniel's character. He knew that Nathaniel was the type of guy 
who was without guile. In other words, he did not deceive or mislead anyone. Look back to the question in verse 46, and you'll see he was a pretty straightforward guy. He wasn't the kind that would beat around the bush a lot. He would just come out and say whatever was on his mind. He was without guile. He was without deceit. Uh, he said what was in on his mind. And so it's interesting here uh, how he responds. Uh, Nathaniel's surprised. Whence knowest thou me? Remember, he's still on edge. He's still suspicious. Now, most people, when confronted with a compliment, would either deny it, me, guileless, how do you know me? Or some sort of response like that. Nathaniel accepted Jesus' evaluation of his character as being true. His problem was not with his own nature. He, uh, it was with Jesus' discernment. How did he know him? How did he know about him? Jesus says something then that rocks his preconceptions here. Look at what he says in verse number 48. Before that Philip calleth thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I love instances like this in the Bible. Not that I need proof of the Bible being true. I believe that 100%. But there's a, a lots of different things we can see in the book that prove its veracity and prove its truth. Here's one right here. If the Bible was fiction, this would not be in there. Because it does nothing to... It's one reason we can tell that this is an eyewitness account, not fiction. Because nowhere we're told what's happening under the fig tree. It, it, or why it's significant. A fiction don't, doesn't put stuff like that in there. It answers it. Uh, it, it this doesn't move the plot forward. Uh, it, does, it causes it does a distraction for the readers. What was he doing under the fig tree? We don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter what he was doing under the fig tree. What Jesus said was for the purpose of Nathaniel, not for the purpose of us. We, we don't need to know what G he was doing. Nathaniel knew, we don't, and that's all that matters. And uh, the point is here, by the way, I'm, a, I'm of the opinion that it was something pretty significant. I think it was some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, maybe a, a, a life choice he's coming to. Maybe he's on his search for God. Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe he's asking God, do you even know I exist? Maybe he's having these struggles. The point is that Nathaniel could not believe that Jesus knew about it. It was something so private. It was something so significant, so impossible for anyone to know about that he is astounded and recognizes the omniscience of Christ right here. Jesus showed Nathaniel that before Philip found him, he found him. That's a blessing, isn't it? He sees him. He saw him. Nathaniel was under a fig tree, literally, but he was also there spiritually. Israel is the fig tree symbolically in the Bible. In Palestine, the fig tree stood for peace and tranquility and security and rest and worship. Often a man would go there for solitude and to worship under a fig tree. Micah 4.4 talks about that. Nathaniel was under this fig tree and and maybe he was contemplating about his life. Maybe he was uh, facing a decision. Maybe he was thinking about the Messiah. Exactly what Nathaniel was doing there, we don't know. But Jesus knew what Nathaniel was. He's the one that saw him. He knew what Nathaniel was dealing with while he's sitting under that fig tree. When Jesus told Nathaniel he saw him under the fig tree, he's telling him, I know everything about you, Nathaniel. I know your innermost thoughts and your heart's desires. When he says that, Nathaniel realizes, uh, in short, he knew exactly why Nathaniel decided to take refuge under this fig tree. Now, again, this is an eyewitness account. 
they probably, people watching this scene, if there was anybody standing around, maybe even Philip, would be quite shocked at Nathaniel's response here as they hear, all Jesus said to him, I saw you sitting under that fig tree. Now, if somebody told me, and people do all the time, hey, I saw you at hy V the other day. Oh, when was that? Tuesday, whatever. I don't think about it two seconds. But when Jesus said it to Nathaniel, it was enough for Nathaniel to give up his life and give it to Jesus Christ forever. This was significant to him. And the re- that's why I think it was something big in his life. And can I tell you today, friend, Jesus knows what you're dealing with today under your fig tree. He knows all of your hopes and dreams and desires and aspirations. He knows about your heartaches and your failures, your ruined expectations and your despair. I'm glad I serve a Savior who knows where I am, knows what I need and loves me despite. When he, when I come to Him with a problem or a trial, He can help me. Psalm 139, 8. I ascend, I will, if I ascend up into heaven, Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. In other words, you'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's always with us. Now, on the other hand, maybe you agree, understand where I'm coming from here. The fact that Jesus can see into my heart and know everything, that can be a little concerning too, can't it? Uh, that means that he knows what goes on in there. Amen? And uh, he knows uh, it, it, the frustration, the doubt, the anger, the impatience, the sin in our hearts. Jesus sees all that and much more. He notices all the small details of our lives. But look how Jesus uses the information. I love this. Jesus does not say, I know you, Nathaniel. I, I know that you thought nothing good could come out of Nazareth. Well, I'm sorry to burst your prejudice bubble there, buddy, but here I am. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, he focuses on something different. Uh, This is so interesting to me. There's a time in Israel, everyone was claiming to have a religion here. They offered sacrifices of repentance, but they weren't changing their lives. In public, they were holy. In private, they were ungodly. Circumcision identified them as Israelites, but their hearts were far from God. But Nathaniel was different. Nathaniel was an Israelite in whom there was no guile. An Israelite indeed, Jesus said. Uh, He was a true blue man. He was one in whom there was no deceit. He had not just read the word of God. He lived it. He was a man who feared God. He was a man of integrity. That's why Jesus described him as one in whom there is no guile. He was not a man of deception or hypocrisy. Nathaniel was straightforward. When you spoke to him, you knew you were getting the plain truth. We see that. And what he says next, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. He just blurted out whatever's on his heart. Nathaniel's realization that he was facing the Messiah in person led to his confession. Now here's what Jesus says though. Okay, you were skeptical. Now you're all in, Jesus says. I mean, just like that, Nathaniel made up his mind. I haven't even begun to reveal myself to you. You just wait. You don't even know who I really am. You see, Nathaniel's evaluation of Jesus was still limited here. He and the disciples had many lessons to learn concerning their teacher, and Jesus was prepared to open their eyes. You remember Thomas we talked about last week? I will not believe 
until I see the holes in the hands and the holes in the side. No, not, not unless I see, until I put my finger in the holes in the hands. That's what he said, I will not believe. Jesus shows up and he does not say, Thomas, why did you doubt or demean him for it? He says, here, Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my side. Now stop doubting and start believing. You see, Jesus is not out to trick you. He wants you to believe and he gives you evidence for it. I, I don't think for a minute that Jesus is against giving us reasons to believe. He'll give reasons to you. He'll give you evidence if you seek in good faith. But Nathaniel, uh, he wanted to give him more to believe in. So he says, you believe because of that? You see, when we first come to Christ, we often have far too low expectations, even when we come in salvation. I think that maybe he'll help me be a better person. Maybe he'll help me with my loneliness. Jesus is so much more. Let me show you this. He begins by reminding Nathaniel of Jacob's Bethel experience here in verse 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Uh, verily, verily, or amen, amen, or truly, truly. Now, this, this is referring to Jacob in the Old Testament. He's fleeing from his family after he had been deceptive and he was the deceiver, by the way. Jacob's name essentially means guile. I think it's interesting that here's a man in whom there is no guile, and then he, uh, he contrasts him with Jacob. I think that's an interesting point, just a little trivia there. But uh, so Jacob uh, gets there at the end of the day, and he, he uh, falls asleep on pillows of stone, made stones into his pillows. And then what happened is what happens when you have a stone for a pillow. He had some visionist dreams, all right? That's probably what's going to happen if you lay your head on a stone. But at any rate, uh, he had a dream, and he sees a ladder. He sees angels descending and ascending up this ladder. This is found in Genesis 28, verse 12. And you see, because of sins, the sins of mankind, because of your sin and mine, there is a great gulf fixed between us and God, and we can do nothing to span that gulf. Uh, because of our sin, again, we are, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's a condition. It's not something we can change. It's not a behavioral issue which can be solved by behavior. It is a condition that we have that needs something we cannot offer for it. And so Jacob here is a perfect picture of a lost soul uh, in darkness, fleeing for his life, burdened with sin, ignorant of the fact that God is near to him and wants to save him. The latter pictures that Christ is the only way from earth to heaven. You see, we are unable to bridge that gap. But with Jacob's dream, the message is clear that there will be someone that's going to come and bridge that gap for us. This is the picture of Christ verified in John chapter 1, verse 51 here. The picture that Jesus Christ bridges the gulf between heaven and earth by his redemptive work. Like the song says, oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. It is interesting that although Nathaniel called him here the son of God, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. He's saying to Nathaniel, I am that ladder. You've called me the son of God, and so I am. That is because of my deity. You've called me the king of Israel and David's greatest son, and so I am. That is because of my humanity. Uh, and I became man, and through my humanity, I am that ladder. He was able to give his life in replacement for us. He lived the life that we should have lived. 
He links God and man, heaven and earth. He's the only mediator between God and man. You see, Jesus was so much more than their view of the Messiah, at which they were at that point. Uh, most of them hoped that Jesus would get on a horse and defeat Rome, pick up a sword and, and uh, give them freedom again. Jesus said, I didn't come to take out Rome because taking out Rome would not change the human condition. I'll show you far greater things than that. I will defeat not only Rome, but I'll defeat evil and death and Satan. I can bring you into the very presence of God. You see, Jesus, this, this morning, I can bring you the same uh, great message that Jesus is so much more than meets the eye. He began his ministry being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. He ended his ministry being thirsty, yet he is the living water. He was weary, yet he is our rest. He paid taxes, yet he is the king. He was accused of having demons, and yet he threw out demons. He, was a, he, he wept in John chapter 11, yet he wipes away our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, uh, yet he redeemed the world. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and he is the good shepherd yet. And Jesus uh, is so much more than we can imagine, and he is available to you today. What a blessing. He sees you under your fig tree. He sees your struggles, your sorrows, your disappointments, your failures, your unanswered questions. He sees all that. And He sees you. Is that a blessing? Let Him change your life. Can I encourage you today, dear friend, with these three words? Come and see. Come and see. Come, get a good taste of what the Lord Jesus Christ can do for you. You ask today, how do I do that? How do I get in? Even if I want to, what do I do? I have to change my life, right? I have to get rid of all my sin. I have to obey the Bible in all points. I have to start doing all these good things. No, 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 no. Uh, you miss a key word here in verse number 51. Look at it with me. Jesus does not say, I am at the top of the ladder. He does not say angels are descending and ascending to the Son of Man. He does not say, hey, here's the ladder. Start climbing. If you try really hard, you can ascend because, no, you can't ascend on your own. Uh, Psalm 24, 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And there's really none of us that do. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And so none of us can, uh, can, can apply to that or, or qualify. So how are we going to get up there? Jesus is not saying they should ascend to the Son of Man. Look what he says. They are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He doesn't just set down the ladder and say, okay, now try your best. He says, I am that ladder. I will bring you to God. He came all the way down. He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you should have died. He paid the price of sin for mankind. He was your substitute and mine. Today, you're under the fig tree. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not sure of your home in heaven. And I may ask you to consider that today. If you're not 100% sure of a home in heaven, you need to settle that. Eternity is not something we gamble with, amen? That's something we know. Maybe you're under the fig tree in that area. Can I tell you, he sees you. Maybe you're a Christian 
frustrated with the failure of your sin. You're not able to overcome a sin in your life and you, you've tried and you've worked at it and yet it just continues to have dominance over your life and you're frustrated with it. Can I tell you today, friend, He sees you. Maybe you're under the fig tree and you're ready to quit. You don't know how you're going to go on. You're just tired of the struggle. He sees you. Isn't that a blessing? He sees you. So how do you get from under the tree to the top of the world? You get on the ladder. Uh, he is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to a victorious Christian life. Thank God for our Savior. As they sang, He loves me like I am His only child. What a blessing that is. What a love He has for us. He loves you today. He sees you. Now I invite you, if you have never tasted of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you come and see? Come and see and get a good dose of what Jesus Christ has to offer. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. That's the invitation today, friend. I don't know where this message found you. <coughs> I don't know if you're, maybe there's somebody in here today that, as I mentioned a second ago, you don't know. You don't know if you're on your way to heaven right now. You don't know for sure if something happened, if you'd be with the Lord. You can settle that before you leave, even today. As she begins to play in a moment, then you can just come on down here. Somebody will take a Bible. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady. If you're a man, we'll have a man. Somebody will take a Bible and show you how you can know you're on your way to heaven. What about you, dear Christian? Maybe you, like Nathaniel, are frustrated under that fig tree. And I encourage you, he sees you. As you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, she's going to be.